Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Boss Files. I'm Poppy Harlow. If you're a basketball fan or really any kind of sports fan, this spring has felt very different. Major League Baseball is delayed, March Madness is canceled, and the NBA is suspended until further notice. For Cleveland Cavaliers player and five-time NBA All-Star Kevin Love, this has been a big adjustment. Normally, this time of year, he'd be spending nights playing for cheering fans. Instead, his days now sound more like this. Today, I wanted to talk about loneliness. You know, it's one thing to uh, to talk about it, it's another thing to uh, try and put a face to it or, or understand. Uh, like most of us, Kevin is self-isolating. He's also spending time on Instagram, reaching out to his more than 3 million followers about mental health, an issue he's passionate about and supports through his Kevin Love Fund. And there was a New York Times article that I read last week, and I'll have to read it off the page here. Uh, it says that the impact of social isolation and loneliness on longevity equals that of smoking 15 cigarettes a day and exceeds the risk associated with obesity, excessive alcohol consumption, and lack of exercise. Kevin is at home in Ohio right now, doing a lot of, well, reading, walking his beloved dog, and spending an hour and a half every day walking on the treadmill. Yeah, an hour and a half. I talked to Kevin about what life is like for a professional athlete in the middle of a suspended NBA season, and he tells me about his personal struggle with anxiety and depression, and how that has motivated him to talk so openly about mental health. This is really a pandemic that nobody's talking about. I can't really put my finger on something or reach out and touch something that is a bigger thief of human potential. We talk about what he's doing to bring awareness to the issue and how he's giving back to the workers affected by the suspension of the NBA season. Here's my conversation with Kevin Love. Kevin Love, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate you having me on. We're going to spend... Um, a lot of time talking about mental health and isolation and helping one another uh, in, in a moment like this, in a crisis like this. But be before we get there, if we could just start with how dramatically things have changed. I mean, looking at the NBA schedule that was, your team, the Cleveland Cavs, were supposed to be playing, I think, the Brooklyn Nets down the block from where I live and the Atlanta Hawks and right now. And that's obviously not happening. So what, what's your life like these days? I think just like everybody else, finding ways to uh, stay busy, uh, stay active. I mean, I'm such a creature of habit. So routine for me, getting up, making my bed, then you get into breakfast and I always make sure that, or I always try and shower and put my workout clothes on. So it's incentive to, to, you know, get my work done early and work out, but it's just. It's the only way you go. I, I have to do that immediately in the morning on the weekends, or I will just eat pancakes and not. A hundred percent. Or I'll, you know what, I'm going to have another coffee or it just like, <laughs> it, then lethargy uh, sets in and you just, you know, you kind of, keep pushing it back, pushing it back, pushing it back. But I think that's almost a form of 
resistance. I, I have to stay active and have to feel like I'm checking things off, no matter how small, uh, to feel like I'm accomplishing something. So that's how I'm navigating this time. But I know everybody's finding their own ways to find joy and, and, and happiness. Well, speaking of joy, you like to, to quote Shakespeare. Do you want to share it with us? Hey, things won or done, joy soul lies in the doing. That's that's um, actually at the very top of my notes. I've had that quote probably for 10 years, and it's it's so true. Just, you know, accomplishing things, getting things done, feeling like you're part of the winning side of history and uh, the part of something bigger than yourself. That's something that I've really kind of geared toward or lean toward and is very fitting for for what I'm trying to do and, you know, kind of mm -hmm. who I am as a person. Things one are done. Joy's soul lies in the doing. You have micro goals like every day, even now when there are no games and you don't know when the next one will be. What are micro goals that help Kevin Love get through the day? Something I've tried to do now is even on days when I'm taking it a little bit lighter in the gym, I'm trying to, whether it's outside <laughs> walking my dog, dogs are great because they force you to get outside or uh, just, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be able to uh, afford and have a treadmill uh, in the space in my house. And I've been trying to walk six miles a day. I mean, while it might seem like a lot, for me, it's one of those things that I just have to check off. So if I do three miles in the morning... That's like an hour and a half of walking. It is exactly, you know, it's funny for, for me, I'm trying to do, yeah, four miles an hour. So it's about an hour and a half of walking, but it could be some, something as simple as making your bed. It could be something as, for me, it's it's hydrating, yeah. getting to bed at the same time. So those little goals, and most of mine are, I feel like, routine-based or health-based, but mm -hmm. those are incredibly yep. important for me and add up over time to make you more well-rounded and more evolved. What do you do on the treadmill? Are you, <laughs> I don't think you're the kind of guy that is like reading your phone and sending emails no. and, and like falls off the back. Are you, are you like meditating? Are you talking to your mom on the phone? Are you listening to podcasts? I am actually, I'm listening to podcasts. I also uh, am reading as well, well, not not reading my phone, but I an audio book. I'm listening to something, or depending on what my mood is at the time, I'll be listening to music. So you know, typically if it's something that uh, you know, it's not going to be like I'm, I'm lifting weights or doing high end cardio that sort of thing. So I'm typically listening to something slightly uh, more soothing, but also you know, with the walking still sticking in that sort of rhythm. All right, so let's let's get. To the matter at hand and why I, I really wanted to talk to you. Um, let's go back to 2017 because this was a pivotal moment, changed your life completely. You're on the court. It's November 2017. You're playing against the Hawks and you have a, and you have a panic attack. Yes. For people who haven't read your powerful essay in the Players' Tribune, what happened? Yeah, so it was on November 5th of that year and I had, it had been actually uh, leading up to that point uh, very, very, you know, tough for me. There had been a number of things that, um, you know, had, had dipped in my life or things that I was struggling with and things that had sent me into a uh, depression. So I was, you know, I wasn't able to stay present. I was I was looking back and just dealing with things that, that I was putting off or compartmentalizing or saying, you know what, I'll deal with that later. And, you know, as as I feel like, America or even, you know, if you look across the world, I feel like we celebrate people who kind of beat their emotions into submission. And that was me. Yeah. 
especially men, right? Especially men. Yeah. And I can speak at length about that too, because I was one of those kids and that was my playbook. And I actually talk about that, not at length, but uh, a little bit in that Players Tribune article. But then moving forward, it just, it just seemed hopeless. Like I think, you know, the opposite of happiness is hopelessness. Like it's a crisis of hope. So if you look at you know, anxiety or or uh, depression or really any mental illness or mental health problem, I feel like that's at the root of all of it. But a lot of the pillars in my life had continued to fall, um, you know, whether it be family, whether it be relationships, whether it be, uh, you know, things happening uh, outside of the basketball court. But the basketball was my last pillar to fall where we were expected to be such a uh, you know, a great team, a team that was expected to go to the finals, uh, you know, had really high hopes and we started awful. And myself, I wasn't playing so great either. So that just all came up to me and was the perfect storm of me having a panic attack. Uh, yeah, it was November 5th of, of 2017 against the Atlanta Hawks. Um, uh, so I ran to the locker room. So much of the time I had just exploded in anger or it was just a, a major outburst and I always had somewhere to go. In, in this setting, it was extremely public, and I ran into the locker room, you know, shortness of breath, feeling like I was going to fade, feeling like I was having cardiac arrest. And I thought, you know, this, uh, you know, uh, is this it? Like, I, I don't know what's going on. So I ended up actually, um, you know, uh, on oxygen and on the, uh, on the floor of my athletic trainer, Stephen Spiro's uh, office. And after that, went to... The Cleveland Clinic, you know, one of, if not the best hospital in the world, depending on who you ask, and everything checked out. So I thought, okay, what just happened? I, you know, yeah. I, so that was a, a turning point in my life where I had to look at myself in the mirror and say, okay, I need to seek some therapy. But it wasn't until it actually got worse before it got better. The headline of the piece is everyone's going through something, and you say for 29 years, I thought about mental health as someone else's problem. Yep. And that asking for help was a form of weakness that could derail my success in sports or make me seem weird and different. And you you call publicly writing this the biggest thing in your entire career. 100%. And it's so relevant now in this moment because so many people can't even go to therapy, right. let alone afford therapy. Right. And, and their, their mental health issues are, are exacerbated in a moment like this. No, they absolutely are. And I think because of COVID-19 and you're isolated and you're, you're feeling that sense of loneliness, this is really a pandemic that nobody's talking about. And that needs Me to- Mental health. Mental health can, can needs yeah. to continue to come to the, to the forefront and people need to talk about because it just- I, I don't know. I can't really put my finger on something or reach out and touch something that is more, uh, you know, is a bigger thief of, of human potential. We look at actually at my fund, there's there's four pillars of stigma. So it's it's just incredibly important that we continue to to speak and talk about the stigma. And then we then we have education, really that next generation focusing on them and, and that younger demographic because they're our future. Whether it be, you know, bipolar disorder, whether it be schizophrenia, uh, acute anxiety or anxiety disorder, uh, depression. I mean, it's it's really a, a young people disease. You know, 50 percent are diagnosed by the age of 14 and 75 percent are diagnosed by the age of um, 24. This is so important to me, too, on the depression side, because in Oregon, from ages 10 to 34, suicide is the second leading killer uh, of that age group. Uh, and I, I had certain 
you know, really, really acute feelings at, at that age. But, you know, below the age of 14, even considering them going and taking their lives or, you know, having those type of feelings or going to the ER is just baffling to me. So here, I'll, I'll be quick on these two. So there's education or stigma education. And then we have tools. You talk about uh, not being able to go to therapy at this time. I think it's actually going to be awesome to see what's going to come out of this and how and, and how we stay in touch and how we're able to communicate and see people. Um, mm-hmm. But it's going to be really important that we that we have tools. And then the last one is research. So that kind of um, we have a lot of very, very cool things happening at, at the fund that are going to come out. Uh, you know, in Mental Health Awareness Month in in May, but also moving forward, some really big things. I'm so glad you bring up youth. You've talked about suffering silently. And before you were 29, you know, you were really private. You didn't share any of these struggles. You didn't even talk to friends or family about them. And mental health issues are in everyone's family or they will be, as you've said. And, you know, I don't even know if I've ever like talked about this, but my my aunt, my mom's sister is, is schizophrenic and you know, she has to live in a group home and she was diagnosed when she was 18 years old. And it completely changed the trajectory of her entire, entire life and our, our entire family's life. And it yep. just, it can strike so young and everyone has their story. Um, and we don't, I mean, you're so right about being a pandemic because we don't, like we're all talking about COVID-19. This is all we're talking about, you know, and we just often don't talk about mental health. And you bring up the issue of men and boys and you say men and boys are probably the farthest behind. You know that because you lived that. Yeah, especially as a young man, too. I was I mentioned, you know, beating your emotions into submission. That was so much of what what I did. I had that playbook of like, you don't uh, you know, you, you don't show weakness, you don't cry. And, you know, that would get me so worked up and I get so angry. I would cry. But uh, I just didn't know how to express my emotions in in a healthy way, and I think keeping it it bottled in. My fuse was so long that it just I just would it, it would just snap, and I would get so angry, and I'd go to my room and you know not come out for a while. I think that was so much the case. But I remember a better a better thing a story for me is like in high school I would I wanted to be accepted so bad by so many people that. Uh, you know, I lost sight of how if I was trying to, you know, be funny or, you know, it was happening at somebody else's expense, that not only was it hurting that person, it was hurting me as well. There's just a lot to, to you know, unwrap and peel layers back and, and consider when it comes to, to that age group. You've said that the worst thing when we talk about mental health in this moment, where so many of us are so isolated, and that can just exacerbate existing problems. You've said the worst thing that could come out of this is if we come out unchanged. So what is your message to to everyone listening? I think especially to the young folks that look up to you um, in terms of coming out of this on the other side as well as we possibly can af- after having endured so much loss as a world. Yeah, I mean, at least for me, a, a form of uh, therapy or, or feeling better it's just practicing acts of kindness. Um, and I think it's it's so important. And checking in, you know, being able to use the the, the zooms, the IG lives, the um, uh, FaceTimes, whatever it may be, just checking in on people, even those that you uh, are just you know slightly outside of your circle. I think it's good to yeah. just feel that sense of community. 
social distance, but don't isolate. Oh, that's, I mean, that's so, that's, yeah, incredible. Call key. people, right? Yeah, Pick call, up the phone or the Zoom or whatever. Yeah, it's funny. I've, I've came, you know, if I have 10 free minutes now, I'll just be like, you know what, what's the best way to, to you know, take advantage of this time? Sometimes I just, and I'm, I'm such a, I'm like a, I heard this the other day, an introvert with really well-polished extrovert uh, qualities, I think I it was. I was going to say, you don't totally strike me as an introvert. But. Yeah, but I, I, I really, I really am because actually hmm. my, my, this is where it was so bad. It was, and it really was in Minnesota. My social anxiety was, was so high, but now that, um, you know, I've done this and, and, uh, you know, continue to speak about this, like it, it, you know, I always say nothing haunts you like the things we don't say. So the fact I've, you know, kind of lived life out in the open and I try and stress that. And I wish I could have said that to my younger self and had the presence of mind to do that. Uh, you know, that's something that I, I always say. So that that social distancing and not social isolation, I think, is 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 huge. And then just picking up, a you know, a new skill. So, what you know, for me, it's like when you come out of this, it could be. Uh, you know, extremely valuable to use, or it's just something that, you know, helped you get through this time, curb the stress, curb the unknown, and just was a, uh, something that got you through it and was effortless in, in passing the time. So I think it's a, it's a really healthy way to, to curb some of these uh, feelings. After a quick break, we talk about how Kevin is helping the Cleveland arena workers who've lost their jobs during this pandemic. That's next. And now more of my conversation with NBA player Kevin Love. The league as a whole and you as a player suffered severe losses this year. David Stern, just a remarkable man. I felt lucky to know him through my alma mater, Columbia, and just always, always made me laugh every time I talked to him. And a remarkable leader. Um, and his his memorial service was just, I mean, just filled I, Radio I City bet. Music Hall I with bet. most incredible tributes. You lost, you know, you lost him, and and then the sudden loss of Kobe Bryant has. I'm just interested in how that's affected you in terms of thinking about the fragility of life. It really has. I was I was saying the other day, if 2020 has uh, you know offered me or taught me anything, it's that being in the present, like, enjoying the moment. I think a lot of people will um, coming out of this, they'll they'll really stick to that or gravitate towards that because I mean it's it's just so precious like we didn't expect to lose David Stern so fast we you know Kobe Bryant he's you know he's like invincible and Gianna he's, she's so precious he was supposed to go on and be the best player in the WNBA like she had you know that Kobe Bryant blood running through her and it's just incredibly incredibly tragic and then life as we know it uh, from COVID-19 has, has kind of put all of our lives on pause and, you know, having even the people that if you consider the people staying at home and then you have, uh, you know, the people that are the first responders, the frontline workers, nurses, doctors, uh, pharmacy workers, uh, grocery store workers, so on and so forth, like those heroes, their their life isn't the same. They're having to choose between, uh, you know, being with their family uh, for extra time during this really tough time, especially if they have kids and they're having to, you know, teachers are more heroes. They're having to try and help them with their schooling and help them growing up. Uh, well, I think we all agree teachers should be paid a billion right? dollars it's a year crazy. after like, this. I, that's another thing I can't even <laughs> wrap my head they around. They should make like, Kevin Love salary. Right. If you're, <laughs> if you're trying to get me to do long division with my, with my kid, that's just not happening. 
But uh, it's it's something that is is not lost on me, and I'm sure is not lost on uh, a number of players throughout the league. And we all have givens in our life that are that are scary looking forward that will grow old or will die or you know we're going to lose people we love and we'll have to endure uh, in de- like identity shaking uh, professional failures and humiliations and uh, you know I think through that it's you know that's where we're meant to find meaning and purpose in our life but it, it sometimes is is you know really and you have to take a step back and, and just say like, wow, life is life is incredibly precious. And uh, I have so many great stories about, uh, you know, David Stern, who named me to my, my first all-star team as an injury replacement back in 2011. It's funny. The, oh, the, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So he has a bit, you know, a huge impact on 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 my life as well. And, um, I, you know, I have many great stories about him, but that was actually the all-star that it was in Los Angeles. So where I was born. And that Kobe actually told me on the bench that game, he goes, he's like, how you get all those rebounds? I said, you know, I just, I just try and do my work early. And he stopped me mid sense. He goes, you know what? I'm a lead. The, I'm a, I'm a lead this game in, in, in rebounding tonight. And I was like, yeah, okay. Like Kobe six, six, like, all right. So, uh, Dirk looked at me, Nowitzki looked at me at the time. He goes, I've, he's the only guy I've ever seen that when he says something like that, you, He'll do it. You and and like yeah, people say that and like oh they come close. It's like no no he's gonna do that. So he actually ended up being MVP of that game. And I have from 2012 and just knowing Kobe for so long, I have so many great stories about him. But those those two are connected because it all ha- happened in in uh you know it was in LA. So that was a really really special time. But you know those guys are gonna be missed because they were so monumental to the game for so long. Yeah, and it just reminded all of us I think about. How are we spending our time yeah. and not just, you know, our weeks, but each and every moment of each and every day. And this moment gives us that perspective, too. Let's talk a little bit about what you did. This is actually the first time when I saw this news, I was like, let's get him on the show. So it was after the morning after you gave a um, huge donation, $100,000 to keep the workers at your arena. I have the the photo, which I'll put out on social media. But, you know, men and women that you know that serve food at the arena, that clean it, that, you know, keep keep it up and running, that have no job now um, to keep them paid. Where did that idea come from? I just had the sense that it was going to be extremely stressful for people. And for me, I was just considering the uh, that anxiety of maybe, you know, not seeing your next paycheck or, you know, some of these people working paycheck to paycheck. And these are the people that had take, taken care of us for so long. So I was like, you know what, I want to take care of them. You know, I know uh, a number of them on a first name basis. Um, and I just thought it was very important to just help alleviate some of that, that stress that, that they might, might've felt. So right away, I, j- I just called and said, Hey, I want to donate this money. Yeah. Boom, just got it out but there. But then a lot of people followed the Cavs, I think, like management, yep. the arena, Stepped other up. players, LeBron, Steph Curry. Yep. So it's, I mean, are these, are the players, I know you can't speak to all the arenas around the, the country, but for you guys there in Cleveland, are they going to keep getting paid throughout this? Yeah, I certainly hope so. I mean, I think that's, it's, you know, really important that, um, and that just continues that sense of community and family because, I mean, they were, uh, a number of them have been working there for years and we don't just see them at our 41 home games, but it's, 
you know, every time we, we come in there for an event or every time we, you know, bring our families or every time we go there to shoot or work out, like they're, they're manning the building, they're, they're working there. And, um, you know, the people that have been a part of our story, especially in 2016, where we won a championship, like they really feel like they're a part of that, especially here in Cleveland. They're, they feel sure. like they're a part <laughs> of a extended family. So, uh, you know, I love that. And you haven't talked as much about this, but I was reading about Project Frontline, yes. which is de- delivering donating meals to the to the frontline healthcare professionals at the Cleveland Clinic, a place that was obviously monumental in your mental health journey. Yes. Now you have a chance to to bring it full circle. Well, I think that's a great point, especially you know you had mentioned other players stepping up uh, and and you know kind of finding their own lane. Like it didn't have to be just uh, you know arena workers or people that um, you know were affected. Uh, firsthand by by what you do or your profession. It could be distributing meals. It could be, uh, you know, local food banks. It could be working with the CDC or the World Health Organization, or even uh, I think Carl Anthony Towns did it. And, you know, take a step back for a second and say, uh, rest in peace to his mother, who I, I got a chance oh, to know his family know. was incredibly tough. Just, but just last week. She just can. last week. So that's that's another tough loss for, for the NBA family. Um and just really, really sad. But he had donated uh, a lot of money to the, the Mayo Clinic. And as you know, that's like a <laughs> that's a that's a really an institution there. It's like Home, a, a hometown religion, pride. Right? Yeah. Hometown for, pride for this Minnesotan and being and seeing it at firsthand. They're like they are they just their whole ideas is they just want to heal people. So that was really, really cool to see him do that. But uh, Project Frontline, it was it was I wanted to find a way. Like now, since this whole thing is evolving and, you know, people are working so hard to keep us safe, like how do I uh, affect multiple groups? So I had, you know, the, the, the frontline workers, the people that are working every day uh, to, you know, make sure that we're safe, as I mentioned, but also small businesses and to to help the economy. So we were just making sure that they were fed, they had everything they need, and they were able to uh, stay healthy throughout this. So we're actually doing another one this Friday with with a food drop to all, you know, a number of the doctors and nurses at, at the Cleveland Clinic. And this is, you know, an easy thing to replicate. It could be activated really in any city. Uh, but I just wanted to continue to, to give back to this community here. And, uh, you know, I'd hope that others would do the same, no matter how small uh, or how big that effort can be. It's, it's just incredibly important that we that we just continue to pay it forward. You know, you bring up you bring up small business and there is the there is the health crisis, but there's also an economic crisis yep. that, that you and I know nothing about. Right. We're still getting our full paychecks. Yep. And, and I mean, know nothing about in that we're not living it, but. I, I care deeply about this. I know you care deeply about this. And I just wonder your thoughts. Governor DeWine in Ohio has really, where you are, really led the way in so many respects on this during this crisis. And he's now band together with other Midwest governors like Minnesota, et cetera, Michigan, to, to decide, you know, how, how do we balance this? When do we reopen? And I just wonder what you hope is considered in the decisions that are made over the next few weeks um, about getting people back to work, but also protecting people. Yeah, I think it's, like you said, it's incredibly important that, uh, you know, these, within the workforce, we get people back, uh, you know, to their daily lives, uh, not only to, to you know, stimulate the economy, to, to feed their families, to feel like they're a part of something bigger, but they have to be safe. I mean, it's the same thing if you consider, 
uh, Adam Silver, especially in the way that that we yeah, travel. Yeah, he really led. Yeah, he yeah. really led the way, and especially uh, you know he he kind of acknowledged that hey, we're we're pretty much super spreaders because we're going on planes, we're going into the arenas, we're going to hotels. So I think. Uh, you know, it's it's another thing that's that's not lost on uh, you know the the governors and these state representatives that okay we need to make sure that we we kind of slow pace this thing, slow roll this thing, and getting people back into work, but making sure it's it's done uh, very safe. But that's that's their genius and not mine. But I'm 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 pretty certain that um, you know they're going to do the best thing and and what's right for humanity. But yeah, it is incredibly important as you know, an economy and global economy to, to get these people back to work, especially if it's essential. Or find a way to provide more for them. You know, I mean, it's a tragedy to see all those small businesses, at least in the first round that didn't get, didn't get this funding. Um, just, just a few quick questions before we go. Um, I was reading uh, a GQ interview a while ago, and 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 you were, it was a di- on a different topic. But you said, you know, this this is a league that African Americans built, and you know the disparity that we're all seeing in terms of how this virus is hitting the African American community. So many more African Americans are contracting it versus you know the percentage of population that they are in in pretty much every state and and dying from it. And we know a lot of this is because of the sort of decades of of disparity in treatment, socioeconomic. Uh, issues and healthcare. I just wonder for you, as someone who so many of your your fellow players in the league and and friends are African American, what do you what did you think when you started seeing those numbers? I mean, just that they continue to be underserved. I, I, I can speak on it, especially in in terms of of mental health and physical health. Is that uh, you know in these underprivileged or under serviced areas, uh, you know, these, these kids, I mean, just aren't getting treated in there. And a lot of them are going through, uh, you know, various things at, at, at a younger age. And for, for that, they're susceptible to a, a number of underlying health conditions. And a lot of that can be coming from both the physical and the mental. But even if you just look at in terms of, you uh, you know, people of color that are therapists or people of color that uh, work in psych departments or anything of, of that nature. It's it's like less I think it's less than five percent. So, you know, they're they're not growing up or, or learning to to trust, uh, you know, the health system in this way, because they in some cases they feel like they've they failed them. So that's that's another thing that I'm really trying to, to stress is in <laughs> uh, my therapist, uh uh, is a person of color and person that, you know, I've connected with in, in, a, in a very big way. So I think people need to find a way that are, are uh, in the medical field to, uh, you know, have a lot of diversity. I think it's so, so, so important to, to see that because that human potential and the, uh, you know, getting underserved in, in, in such a big way and, and that getting lost on people is is. Uh, something that needs to change moving forward, and I think you make a great point. Like that's this is incredibly, incredibly important to uh, you know. It's not just about uh, you know taking that curve and and you know making sure that it's dropping off, but also in, in underserved areas, making sure that everybody's getting a an equal shot and everybody's getting a fair shot at at staying healthy, 
living and reaching their potential in that way. Cause this is, this is something that again, like this virus doesn't, it doesn't care who you are. It doesn't, doesn't discriminate, but you know, there's some people that, uh, you know, are, are, you know, things are available to them far more so than they would be elsewhere. So that's a, that's a great point that you bring up. And I wish I could speak to it more, more at length, but um, I, I, I well, do. Well, it sounds like you're so. trying to do, you know, more work on that, on yes. that front. Yes. And I think, uh, Look, I think if we return to the world that we were before, having this inequality that already existed, but so glaring now in this crisis, then we failed everyone. I agree. We have to come out of this changed, you know, not by nature. I'm not always all the way optimistic, but I feel like there is a lot of good that can come out of this and it'll be eye-opening. And that's, you know, obviously, you know, we've been trying to tackle that topic for a long time, but maybe it took something, uh, you know, devastating for a number of people across, um, you know, all socioeconomic status, gender profile, sexual preference, like whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It just does not discriminate. So that's, that's the hope for all this. Yeah, it's true. I think you said it. Nothing unites us like a common yes. enemy. And that's what we have now. Also, just to end a, a shout out to a, an amazing uh, woman in your life, Dr. Michelle Krask, who I know has done a lot of this work with you at UCLA, where you went to school and um, just a lot of credit to her, to her as well. Yeah, big shout out uh, to Michelle Krask. She's been incredibly important in my understanding of uh you know, why things are the way they are, you know, what what research is going to look like going forward. And she's she's a superstar. I mean, I, I remember uh, just looking at all the things she had done in her career up to this point and all her you know, accolades and who how many lives she's saved. And you can't put, you know, a quantitative we can't put a number on that, but she just her whole life is is geared towards, you know, helping people. So she's a she's an inspiration for me. I feel like she should have her uh, you know, like number retired in the rafters or something like that statue. Cause <laughs> she's just, that jersey. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, I come in, I'm, I'm coming down the court and I'm telling, you know, I feel like I'm telling people, Hey, this is my experience and this is what I've learned. And then, you know, she'll, I'll lob it up to her and she'll just, you know, she'll slam it home. Cause she just, wow. she is so smart. She just, she takes everything that I've said and makes it, makes me, makes me, I guess, I don't know if she makes me look good, but she's like, okay, this is why you feel that way. And she's, she's so transparent and yeah, the understanding is so important. Kevin, thank you really for being outspoken on this front. It's a scary thing to step into when you're one of the first to speak out in your role, but you did. And I think it's changed people's lives. And in this moment, I think we all need to hear it. So thanks for the work you're doing and and thanks for spending time with me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being with me today. If you enjoyed this episode of Boss Files, make sure to keep listening. Every week, we bring you a new conversation with a new leader about how they're navigating all of the uncertainty during this pandemic. And be sure to tune in to CNN's other podcasts to stay up to date on coronavirus and all the latest developments. Every weekday, you can hear my friend and colleague, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, on his podcast, Coronavirus Fact versus Fiction. He walks you through the latest news, everything you need to know. And you should also listen to some of my other favorite CNN podcasts like David Axelrod's Axe Files, The Daily DC, and more. You can find those at CNN.com slash podcasts. As always, I want to know what you think. What did you like? What didn't you like? Who do you want to hear from? Leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. You can also find me on social media at Poppy Harlow CNN. We'll be back next week with another episode of Boss Files.
When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.